Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NABTRADE's Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. We've recently noticed that unless there's a heavy sell-off on the market when a lot of our investors are out hunting bargains, most of our investors are sitting on the sidelines right now. There's a lot of cash on the platform, not so much trading, and a lot of people are really struggling to find opportunity in this market. The best investors, however, have strategies for every market including the boring ones, which is perhaps how people are feeling right now. Today, I'm joined by Junbei Lu, who's the portfolio manager of Tribeca Investment Partners, who many of you will know from the call on Ausbiz and plenty of other sources. Junbei, thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Gemma. Thank you so much for having me today. So, Junbei, can you tell me about your thoughts on where the market currently finds itself at the moment? That's a really good question, Gemma. Uh, We're being actually asked about that um, frequently by investors. Look, the share market has done very well, incredibly well. um, And heading into the year end, it certainly seems uh, a lot of investors a little bit worried. It's looking a little bit toppy, as in it looks a little bit more expensive and things have gone really well. So there's a sense of something might go wrong soon, which we have seen uh, in the past week or so that uh, there's a bit of a sell-off in the marketplace. Um, It's as a result of this new variant that's coming through through uh, of COVID, um, it's worrying investors a little bit. Plus, there's um, literally just people looking for reasons to take some money off the table. Uh, but however, um, you know, when you look at what the market, what drives the share market, um, there are two things. One is the uh, company's earning, you know, is it still going to grow? Is it going to meet expectations? And the second thing is sentiment. Are people scared or people are comfortable? Uh, so these two things will drive the share market. And, um, you know, so if you look at what's happening in the underlying and heading into year end, um, you know, the company earnings pretty good. Um, you know, we have all the AGM reporting season, um, um, U.S. reporting season, um, you know, the September reporting season, they all have done very well. And most corporate beat expectations with the revenue. Um, and, um, you know, even on the profit front, it looks not too bad. There is some highlight with um, supply chain shortages. You know, I'm sure you all have heard that. And, um, you know, increased costs, you know, harder to find people because closed border uh, and uh, a number of other, um, you know, issues uh, really to do with uh, COVID disruptions. Um, So all of that together, you know, company profits still look pretty strong um, and um, still will grow quite meaningfully into into next year. And so, you know, all in all, so that side is healthy. And, And then just in terms of investor sentiment, you know, how people feel about the market, as I mentioned before, that people do feel, um, you know, it's a little bit toppy. So, so that will create market volatility, which is what we saw last week um, in the US, uh, particularly in Australia a little bit, um, you know, with this new variant. It's just investor looking for reasons to take profits, um, even though things are look pretty good, but they just thought, look, you know, heading to December, we're taking some profit off. But all that together, you know, we have seen that small quick correction. And my view is that, um, like you said earlier, there's a lot of investors sitting on the sideline. Whenever they see a sell-off like that, it just provides so much opportunity of buying companies that we, you know, always wanted to buy. Um, it just got a bit expensive in the last few weeks, uh, in the last few months or so. Yeah. 
Yeah. So look, share market is in a good place. Um, heading to Christmas is looking pretty strong. Consumers well placed, corporates well placed, and uh, investors have shown resilience towards negative news flow, which is you know COVID related and other things. Um, and uh, and then there seems to be very strong willingness of buying the dip. So yeah, so share market looks looks pretty good, and we expect uh, most of companies to have a pretty good um, February result as well. So that underpinned quite a lot of support into the new year. I think that that summary would ring true for a lot of our investors. There's, you know, there are concerns, but that resilience and confidence buying the dip is so strong at the moment. It's really, it's fascinating and it doesn't need to take Mm. much of a dip. Absolutely. Even though the market does feel a bit sluggish at the moment, as you pointed out, a lot of people sitting on the sideline, a lot of our investors are waiting for an opportunity as you say, things can move really quickly and COVID news is often the driver for that. And it's often the potential for very serious economic disruptions like lockdowns. But in terms of the market impact, it seems to be quite short lived. What are you suggesting that investors stay alert to in this environment? This is actually a really good, important point for the current market because we keep seeing the gyration between reopening or suddenly we're in lockdown. And, you know, there's a northern news flow. And sometimes as a professional investor, we call a noise. Um, it, what it does is essentially confuse people and it creates a lot of uh, behavioral bias, the fear, the greed and all of that. And, um, you know, and then it creates um, frenzy. You know, for creates a bubble for certain parts of the market, and then just essentially panic across other parts of the market. We're seeing that quite a lot in today's world, um, uh, in today's market. Um, last six months, I've seen so many of those across different companies and sectors, and and it's incredibly important for um, you know investor to really think about you know how do you steer in this current market. Um, so you know, current market, a few things. First of all, stay true to, um, you know, the companies, right? So, you know, you understand what those businesses are and the like, and you feel firm in what you like about those business, um, you know, and so that when condition and use flow changes, you know, make sure you don't just go with the herd because a lot of time, you know, near-term uncertainty gets overblown. Uh, the current market, the biggest risk faced by the current market is, um, of course, you know, pandemic, global pandemic is a health crisis. And if the health crisis doesn't get resolved, um, economic recovery is very difficult. Um, right now, um, you know, almost two years, um, actually just under two years after the initial onset of um, the global pandemic, um, we have come a long way. You know, we've got vaccination, we've got, um, you know, we've come through this, now the fourth wave <laughs> where, uh, experienced by many economies. We've gone through severe lockdowns uh, around the world. We've gone through, you know, so many things. We've gone through um, lots of cash stimulus. We've gone through uh, lower interest rate, emergency measure. We've gone through all of that. And, you know, what's very positive at this point is that, you know, the share market's traded through, um, you know, many variants of uh, of, uh, of COVID already. And every time, and, you know, actually, every time share market has been pushing higher. So remember that. So that means the share market is very resilient. And also, you know, the, the cheap interest rate, the low interest rate and the uh, stimulus by the government, you know, though has been withdrawn somewhat, um, you know, it's going to be here to stay the lower interest rate uh, for quite some time yet. And the governments and central banks have proven to be uh, very in tune with what's happening in the uh, with the consumer and the economy. If any time, um, you know, when, uh, when the expectations of interest rate or anytime uh, the this um you know COVID um, the next variant is not doing well and things um central banks 
will absolutely keep you know their lower interest rate um, much longer than previously expected. So remember that. So there is help along the way, and they will always be there to support us. Um, at the same time, that. You know, our economy, our share market has seen it before. You know, we've seen the uh, how the pandemic will impact. We've seen the lockdown. So we have come through the worst and we've got vaccines, um, though for the new variant, we may need to come up with, um, you know, more um, tweaked version of the vaccination. Uh, but I think all the uh, vaccine makers have said, you know, less than 100 days, they will come up with something. And so, you know, so all of that together, you know, you should feel, you know, as an investor, they should feel pretty comfortable that we will get through this health crisis because we've got all the measure. We've seen it before. We've got the measure in place. Um, yes, this variant is a little bit different, but you know, use those opportunities to uh, really buy the stuff you want to buy. Um, you know, just don't get don't get frightened. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you've got to take into news flow into account, but, you know, a lot of time just need to step back going, does it really matter? Does it change anything? You know, does it change the company? Does it affect the company that you invest in? Now, so this is one general comment about, you know, siphoning through all the news flow, um, the noise that you see on a daily basis. And, you know, the big risk posing us is always um, about the um, the COVID. Now, the, the other side is that, you know, once you understand your business, um, your company that you invest in, you do need to know what affects their earnings. Um, so, you know, if the, you know, if the lockdown or, you know, if the pandemic uh, or the next variant, for example, the big risk um, in front of us, uh, if this variant proven to be, um, you know, really, uh, really severe reaction, which is not the case so far, it's been quite mild. Look, if it's proven to be something really severe and cause lockdown and things, then you've got to think about does your company's earning get impacted? Um, and will they be able to survive through this period? And uh, and if they can, if they've got a strong balance sheet, it's a high quality company, Company, even though earning might be impacted for a couple of weeks or uh, for a little bit, you know what? Um, share price probably reflect a lot of those risks and more so. And because normally people will probably be panic selling. Um, and that is the opportunity for you to buy. So, you know, so as an investor, you've got to be one is one way is to holistic and stick to what you know about the business and uh, and then, you know, reassess if the, if the information, um, so then, you know, information becomes, um, you know, changes your investment thesis. <laughs> That's probably quite a long way to answer your question, Gemma. I think it's a great way to answer it. It, um, it is, it'll be interesting to see how long we're concerned about this variant, but it is quite fascinating. We're always, uh, the news flow is extraordinary at the moment and we are, stuck in a state of mm-hmm. not having quite enough information with a lot of this you know, you have to wait for the data to come in it takes a little while and ultimately you can only rely on what you already know about the quality of the companies that you have and the earnings and so on so I think it's an incredibly helpful answer <laughs> are there any particular sectors or stocks that you are keen on right now notwithstanding some of the news flow yeah, absolutely. I'm always um, like uh, like many investors, and uh, but l- actually, unlike many investors, um, but probably like retail investors, that I like to buy things across. Um, you know, I'm, I, I give myself the freedom of buying things, um, stocks from almost every sector. And, um, you know, because you just never know which sector may be out of favor, which means it's on sale. It's very cheap. So you always want to pick up those companies when it goes on sale, um, when everyone else is sort of scared. Um, um, and that's where you make majority of your return. And this market, you just 
constantly finding them. Um, like you said, actually, when you, when you said at the beginning, it's really interesting because I hear from investors as well. Often, um, you know, share market has been going up and, uh, you know, not sure what to buy because, you know, sort of sitting on the sideline because um, everything looks like just going higher. And then every share price kind of look like hockey stick. But look, fine, time to time, you often see, um, you know, businesses come out with earnings and miss the expectations, endless expectations, say by, I don't know, 1% or 2%. And, and the share price goes down 20 or 30%. Um, I for I've been investing in the share market for 20 years. Now, I have never seen that kind of volatility and that level of impatience from investor as a group. Um, you know, in the old days, you miss your earnings, the share price go down 5%. That's a big deal. And uh, and now it's um, it's really, um, you know, a lot, investor base just are very impatient a bit as, a, as a cohort. Um, and I attribute that probably to the shift in the structure of our market. You know, there's a lot more people buying ETF, more passive money. Um, so, you know, so that has caused... Um, you know, indiscriminate selling when things doesn't work, um, regardless of what the share price is more like, get me out. Um, you know, one example is, um, you know, Commonwealth Bank uh, a few weeks back. I'm sure you saw that. The, they they missed, actually, they didn't even miss earning all that much. It was a good result and all that. But the, the revenue was just slight, like something like 1%. And share price was down 8%. Now, this is highly unusual for the largest stock, largest company listed on the ASX to be down. 8% at the time when most of its shareholder base are retail investors and they're not selling. So um, it, there's always, there was a question asked about who's selling. So it's essentially just all the passive money that's forcing uh, the price down uh, at a very unrealistic, um, you know, uh, level. So, um, so, you know, this kind of market condition, you do see a lot of these opportunities of picking up stock when they just going through that kind of, you know, investor want to get out um, type of situation. Now, let me come back to the sectors. Uh, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked um, talking about other things. Um, I do get very excited talking about share market. Uh, so if we go into, in terms of sector, what you're looking at, um, you know, look, honestly, I do find companies out of every sector at the moment um, that you can buy. So first of all, you know, I really like Seek. Um, I, um, you know, this company, uh, actually it's, it used to be incredibly expensive, you know, relative to other classified business. Um, Seek is obviously runs the seek.com, .com.au, um, um, the job uh, classifieds business um, here in Australia. Uh, it has a small stake in China, uh, in Xiaoping, and um, and also has a few other assets uh, around the world. Um, you know, this company has been incredibly successful. You know, in creating um, a you know a, a very very strong franchise in the job business, and it was a few other. Um, you know, um, assets investing offshore has, you know, shown very strong promise as well. Um, you know, now Seek uh, is is going through a golden phase at the moment. Um, not only it's a structural leader, um, you know, it's uh, there's there's continued shifts, um, you know, in global assets of people moving from offline to online um, and for them to win share. It is also now going through a phase where, you know, our economy is recovering and the job index is looking so strong <laughs> At the moment, uh, it's going to have a phenomenal earnings um, over the next twelve months, and then you know we can actually see with this improvement in managing um, managing the yields. So you know how much they charge per agent, and uh, 
actually also about creating the depth product, um, you know, more product, more innovative product uh, to drive that yield growth. Um, I think this company can grow double digit for um, for many years to come. And on that basis, it doesn't look as expensive as some of the others, um, particularly you know, the other uh, expensive companies, expensive growth company that doesn't make cash. So, um, yeah, so, you know, we, we like that space that kind of sits in the growth um, techie space. <laughs> well, the sector is the communication space, but it really should be um, everything else. And um, look, another sector, um, well, the sector itself is pretty boring, but, you know, I think investors should always look at um, this company during the sell-off, which is a center group. You know, that's the <laughs> that's the Westfield um, in Australia. Um, they run, you know, we all know uh, Westfield probably owns the best premium asset around Australia in retail. Um, share price was punished massively um, last year. And um, because all the shops were closed and retailers um, sort of, they can't charge rent because obviously the shops were closed. And now um, with things improving, um, you know, the, the, the rent is back on track and, um, and then still trading one of the cheapest in the uh, property trust. And, um, you know, when it comes to um, hard assets, um, you know, I think earlier on we were just talking about um, housing, you know, house prices gone up something like 30% um, in the last 12 months. Um, whereas if you look at the, uh, the hard asset like shopping centers, you know, they sh- theoretically, they should have gone up so much more, but yet these guys, they're still trading at the discount um, to what the theoretical, you know, um, uh, re- not re- so much revalued um, asset prices. So they are really at a bargain, these companies. And um, what's really good in the last uh, last few weeks, uh, actually last few days, because of the sell-off due to this variant, um, this COVID variant, this company's share price come off again. So, you know, this is fantastic. This share market is filled with um, second and third and four chance, fourth chances. <laughs> um, so, you know, remember that. So this company's, um, you know, it's well positioned. And, and another great thing is when people talk to potentially, you know, transitory inflation and all that inflation coming through. Uh, this company, uh, I think something like 85% to 90% um, of its rent is directly linked in the contract to the to the inflation. So it gives you a complete inflation hedge, um, this company. So not only, you know, not to mention all these other capital growth and stuff. So it's um, that that looks incredibly interesting and, you know, and fascinating. And um, other sector, look, <laughs> we, we just, you know, as you can tell, my, uh, you know, my sector is all over the place. Um, simply because I'm finding opportunity everywhere. Um, whenever they fall off, we see the opportunity. Um, so at the moment, we're actually finding interesting opportunity in some of the uh, China-facing stocks. Um, look, they all being sold off significantly because of you know whether it's um, uh, you know China clearly China borders close or you know tariff and um, you know the geo political um, political situation political tension and things have um, have seen send those company share price um, really nosedive in the last 12 months some have recovered some hasn't um, so we're actually seeing a lot of opportunities there uh, Treasury Y is the one that we spoke to last year um, late last year actually um, you know about this uh, tariff um, where the share price was relative to um, you know Chinese tariff uncertainty and things and um, you know when share price was 
was close to $9. Literally, the company was trading on, you know, all these pen folds that's sitting in the, <laughs> sitting in the, uh, in its warehouse and just liquidate them, you get your money back. It doesn't take into account all these amazing brand equity and um, its other markets, other businesses. So, um, you know, incredible opportunity um, we saw at the time. And, um, and then share price recovered quite quickly. Um, and, um, but more recently, sort of, you know, as people seeking other shinier, exciting stuff, um, it's sort of become a little bit weaker. But recently, um, they made an acquisition into the US at an incredible price, really complementary to its premium wine portfolio in the US. And, um, you know, and I think they got lucky and it's an incredible, um, it's, it's a very good um, business to fit into the US um, and it completes its portfolio. And so we continue to see Treasury Wine as a really good, um, you know, company to, to really buy and, you know, holding your in your uh, in your bottom drawer um uh, so another china facing business that we like at the moment is a little bit risky um but it's a2 so uh risky as in you know look at the potentially um earning will take a little bit longer to recover all it is is that look it's it's a great little business it's done very well selling to china and uh, asia and you know australia um it's got a business in the us as well um look um during pandemic uh, when it first hit the chinese mothers really, really um, become really worried about what's going to happen. Like, you know, us. So, so they, not only they were stocking up on, you know, toilet paper, like everyone else, um, they also bought a lot of infant formula. And um, during that early stage of pantry, um, you know, pantry stocking, pantry filling. Um, so they bought a lot of infant formula and HU was doing very well, you know, in its offline, in the Chinese, um, Chinese shops in China. And the mother just bought everything in size. And um, so, you know, it had a really bumper earnings in early last year. And, um, and then subsequently, you know, when things got a bit better and, um, you know, those mothers literally, well, they need to run down, <laughs> they need to use up all these um, info formula you bought uh, because, you know, they do have expiry date, you got to use them. Um, so that has seen a significant unwind of, um, of the inventory. So, you know, obviously no one's buying anything because they need to finish what they bought. And so that was one problem. And another problem was, well, Australian borders being closed and, and China border closed. And so there was not that much, um, you know, traveling. And Daigo Channel, which is where, you know, people buying, a lot of individuals buying the infant formula from Australia and ship it to uh, to China, um, couldn't, couldn't happen because it's just too difficult. And uh, so that has killed off a significant channel, distribution channel for A2. Um, so these two things combined, companies gone through, gone to hell and sort of now finally we are seeing, um, you know, improvement. So improvement as in, you know, things can't have gotten any worse. So um, we are seeing signs of improvement across Daigo Channel. We've seen signs of improvement of inventory level. We're seeing signs of improvement in terms of pricing because, you know, when you um, when your inventory started clearing out of the system, price starts to grow because demand is still there. Um, so all of that together uh, with a good balance sheet, you know, no debt is sitting at, you know, Six more than six hundred million dollars on the balance sheet, so it looks looks look it looks um, looks very strong. Clearly a value idea, um, but you know it looks looks very good. That is, that's an extraordinary number. I actually love it because Treasury One Estate and A Two are both companies that our guys look at regularly. We know that they're very popular when 
when people are looking for sort of deep value ideas, but A2, they've been hit pretty hard <laughs> to four downgrades in a year. They're feeling pretty rough about that. Uh, so to hear that there's some, uh, some positive outlook is really good. The question I was going to ask you is, is there anything you really like, but it's too expensive and you're waiting for it to fall 20%? Um, Yes. Um, So they they always claim to be the most expensive uh, company in the ASX. Actually, it's not because it actually makes earnings. So um, Prometicus is one company. Actually, I do hold Prometicus, but will I go out and buy double my holding? Probably not at this point, but I do hold it. Um, You know, I love this company, Prometicus. It's just a multi-year structural growth company. Um, You know, it's come up with its, um, it's got its, um, you know, very special uh, imaging product. Um, it sells to all the um, hospitals um, in or radiologists, and you know, um, and um, and then it's. Um, uh, only a few years ago, maybe it's 10 years ago, they went into the US and then they got those big contracts across big hospital group. And um, and then, you know, the, these big hospital group loves it. And then the top five hospital, I think a lot of them use it. And then this business um, become very entrenched into the um, pretty much the hospitals for its imaging product. It essentially allows all the, um, you know, people from different department, different doctors and things or radiologists to share image with very high resolution. Um, incredible easy to use, very good resolution, and it's just products being phenomenal. You know, on that basis, this company is going to deliver growth, like structurally, multi-year growth. Does reminds me a little bit of, you know, those success factors, uh, success companies, um, you know, Aussie success company like CSL, like Cochlear. This company feels like, you know, it's that early stage of, I don't know, global dominance. Um, and, um, you know, what What's also amazing about this business is that once it gets into a hospital system, you know, so they will sell the license and um, to the hospital system with, within one department, normally radiology or something, and then uh, and then they will try it out, and then the hospital will pay um, not only just the license, they will put, pay how many numbers, you know, so. Over time, the hospital actually grow how many departments actually start using this because they tried it out. They go, oh, I actually really love this. And then they just grow to more and more department within the hospital. And each department, this is one, one thing I think we can all uh, associate with is that once you have access to uh, sharing images with such high resolution, you you do more of it. <laughs> so, um, But of course, this in a way sort of helps hospital to lower the cost because then you don't need to have like 20 radiologists or, you know, sitting in different places looking at different things. You just one person centralized and look at all the images that's being delivered to him or her um, and, you know, and then use it. So, um, so it helps the hospital to lower cost and then it helps the um, end product, which is, you know, the patients gets better outcome and doctors can have better access to tools and things. So, um, um, yeah, so it serves, it's it's like a win-win situation. That's why it's been so popular. And once you get into the hospital, it's very hard to obviously replace with anyone else. But that doesn't mean, um, you, you know, um, Prometic has become complacent. They often come up with refresh product and continuing um, development into things. So this is one company I think it will do incredibly well over the long run. Um, it just, it, it's super expensive um, and um, it's, it's sitting in that healthcare space, very defensive. You know, it's the, the new age of the the next CSL, I guess. Um, yeah, so this is one company I do hope um, it becomes cheaper and then I can buy more of it. I love that answer so much. And anyone who has uh, had the misfortune to spend time in a medical uh 
in a medical situation where you need to go and see multiple professionals, I had that with my son after he was born. Uh, my God, I think I was taking CDs around. Yeah, and I had to take them as the patient. And I remember thinking, this is an extraordinarily inefficient system and somewhat dangerous because I haven't slept in three days and I don't know where I'm going to put this CD. <laughs> Absolutely. I think this is incredible. See, this is an area where investors should look for the next innovation. It's the medical space, the healthcare space, because we have seen a technological advancement across so many other areas, right? So whether it's workplace, we've got now got Zoom and all these things, we've got other sectors that we have seen incredible retail sector, you know, you've got all these online, everything, which has been in place for decades now. Whereas healthcare system um, is still very much rely on the old school way of doing things. So, you know, Prometicus, even though it's been around for a long time, but it's still only penetrated at just a fraction of the, the healthcare system. So investors should really look for innovative medcare, you know, medical equipment business or, med, you know, or any of those um, high growth tech businesses that are focusing on, uh, what's the word, reinventing um, the way of doing business for healthcare system. And I think this will be the next big thing to come in the next few decades uh, because it's coming. You know, healthcare has to follow the world, um, you know, follow the, the whole innovation bubble. And it's just that we, you know, we're just waiting for the big, the big shift or the tipping point that's coming through, but it's coming. So, you know, investors should pay attention to that whole space. I love that so much. And uh, and I agree 100%. As I said, I hope I hope many of you listening are not users of the medical system too much. But when you are, the efficiencies that can be gained are like glaringly obvious. I hope it's improved dramatically uh, since we spent a fair bit of time in it. <laughs> One more question. So you actually manage a long, short portfolio, meaning you can take an active position in things you don't like. And that's unusual for a lot of, uh, a lot of our, our guests and also for our listeners, obviously. Is there anything that you'd suggest investors really avoid right now? Anything that's making you uncomfortable? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, um, in general, um, so, so that's right. You're right. We can um, take advantage of shorting companies um, and, you know, use that money I got from shorting company and put into companies I love. And uh, um, it's unusual, um, uh, but um, there's a handful of us and it's difficult um, as a, as a longshore manager, simply because um, there's so much emotional um, bias that comes in when you short something. Um, it's a totally different skill. Now, when I talk about, um, you know, to investors about what to avoid and or when to sell and things, um, I always, always, um, you know, try to get investors to think about why they're selling something or why do they want to sell? What, why are they making this decision um, to do that? So at this point, um, investors should be really careful with, um, you know, as, actually not at this point, it's always the case that always be kept very careful of chasing really hot stocks. Um, you know, um, it's normally when it's a hot stock, normally means uh, everyone else is in it, it becomes super expensive. And, um, you know, shit price is probably doubling, tripling every day. And, uh, and, um, and it's probably not supported by, the actual earnings. Remember, share price is determined by two things. It was the same at share market, right? Two things, earnings, company earnings, 
and investor sentiment. Now, earnings is easier to predict, right? You go, okay, they're going to make this much. They said this. And based on, you know, what other similar company has said, I think they will grow this. So earnings is easy, but you can get to. And then the sentiment is what other people was willing to pay for that earning. Now that changes dramatically. So when you chase after a very hot stock, um, a hot sector, uh, people just uh, completely disregard you know, what they want to pay for it. It just becomes anything. <laughs> it's any number times X. And that can change very quickly. It can change in, in, in a heartbeat, really. So yesterday, people were willing to pay 200 times its revenue, its earning. And uh, tomorrow, market crashed a little. The investor willing to pay 20. You know, that's, that's 10 times less. Um, and share price will fall dramatically. So on the basis of that. So be very careful chasing um, hot stocks like that. Now, they, these hot stocks tend to concentrate it uh, with growthy companies because they're exciting and they try a lot of interest. But we have seen a lot of heat coming out of the, um, you know, one particular sector is payment space, right? So um, the payment space in the last, they had a horrible last six months. Many of them has lost, um, I don't know, 70, um, 60, 70% of their value. And um, the big ones um, that sort of, you know, pretty much just gone nowhere when the market has gone up. Um, it's it's really because um, people were chasing companies that's, you know, it's it's just selling a dream. And um, and then that sentiment changes and there's nothing to, to, to help them to stay there. So beware of those sectors. Um, absolutely. We have seen, also seen a lot of, um, Money's gone into, um, you know, some of those, uh, uh, I guess, whether it's lithium or this uh, whole renewable space. Um, just be mindful of that because, you know, all of their share prices are showing sort of hockey stick. Just be very mindful of companies actually doesn't actually make money from them yet. Um, all they did is talking about it. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, it's just um, just need to be wary of um paying for a earning that's coming in four years time um, because regulation may have changed in four years. And when regulation change, this company maybe don't have any existence or may require significant um, transformation to get to the new standard. So, you know, so just be mindful of those areas. Um, but certainly those are not the areas, um, you know, for us to short something, you know, we, we don't short it just because it's expensive because that's, you know, that's probably the, the worst, what do you call it? The worst decision a short seller can make is shorting something because it's expensive. Um, in a world supported by so many um, cheap money and all of that, it's it's very dangerous to do so. Uh, we all short a company or sell a company. We know when the earning um, is going to be under pressure. Um, something is going to happen, uh, a catalyst that is coming. Oh, that's really, that's a really good point. I always remember, uh, so at a global level, Australian banks are extremely expensive, but mm -hmm. there was a running joke internationally that uh, when, when you would get uh, foreigners, it's a wrong word, but people who didn't live in Australia would mm -hmm. think it was a great idea to short Australian banks and it was known as the widow maker, that trade, <laughs> because Absolutely. it doesn't matter how expensive you think Australian banks are, there's a lot of people willing to buy them here. So it was a, it was a running joke that uh, there Absolutely. would be it's, someone I, would come from New York or Hong Kong and think that it was a great yeah. idea to short Australian banks and lose their 
Absolutely. It's a, that's what they say, right? It's like, um, you know, you haven't been a real hedge fund uh, without uh, losing some money shorting Australian banks. Um, <laughs> and um, it's just incredible. And for many years, I think a lot of um, global um, longshore funds, so the, um, yeah, those hedge funds, they try to arbitrage the valuation difference between Australia and not just banks. And, you know, Australian companies tend to trade at a premium to global companies. Um, I'll tell you why. Um, it's, it's mainly because Australia has, uh, even though we are very small market in the scheme of things, you know, in the global sense, I think we literally like one or 2% of the global market cap. So it's very small share market, but we have one of the largest superannuation um, sort of pool in, in the world because of our, you know, super, uh, our regulatory change that, you know, the the, um, the compulsory superannuation contribution and things. And um, and a lot of those superannuation funds, they all allocate, you know, a big part of their money, of course, you know, in Australia. Australia, invest in Australian business. Um, so, so it actually, that's why it creates a, a tightness in high quality companies. You know, where else are you going to get it? You have to invest here, even though it's a tiny market, but you just got to buy those companies. Um, and so that has created always that illusion, not illusion, that um, our market just a little bit more expensive, especially for high quality companies relative to their global peers may do exactly the same thing, but they're just more expensive. Um, so a lot of hedge funds, they actually, at early in early days, they always try to arbitrage and it never works because that premium doesn't disappear unless there's something happens, you know, the uh, company's going through a tough period and things, but it just doesn't happen. It just, it's a structure that Australian market has and they will remain in place for, for the many years to come, um, that we will be a premium market relative to the others. It's just because those growth are hard to come by. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think it's something that people are intuitively aware of, but find it really hard to articulate so they can, they can hang on to that. So finally, mm-hmm. one question that you promised to answer, and I love this because I know for so many of our investors, they really, really struggle with it. When they feel the market is toppy and they're showing that at the moment by hanging on to cash, trading volumes have really subsided. There's a little bit of a shift to the to the sell side and they feel there's downside risk, but they really struggle to sell. It's such a difficult decision. So what do you use to guide you about when it's time to let go? Yeah, look, it's it's, it's a really good question. So um, I think there's two parts when it comes to selling. So um, first first part is um, you know have you um, you made enough money? That's a that's a good outcome. You made lots of money, and um, and then you go okay, I want to take some off the table, and then I'll wait and see to see what happens. And this is um, honestly that's probably like current situation. And um, any smallest negative news flow, everyone's like sell me. <laughs> and um, look, that's an easier decision for. Um, for investor because, you know, maybe you can use money to buy Christmas present and things. Um, but often when I look at that decision, I just go, okay, well, it's, uh, um, do I have something else to invest in? Because as a professional share market investor, um, I'd much rather to put my money in the share market, um, in other companies that I think will make more. Um, so, you know, I'll sell this company I made 20% out of, and I put that money into a company that's just gone down 30% because everyone just can't wait for the uh, for the turnaround and that will then generate the next 30%. So to me, I constantly doing that churn to constantly finding the next opportunity and then I sell the ones that make money. So that's one decision. Now, the other decision is actually the hardest, which is like when things go wrong, what do you do? <laughs> and this is when, so when things go wrong, when the share price fall, um, 
this is really hard because um, this is when our behavioral bias kicking in, you know, because we don't want to lose money. You know, we tend to feel like, um, you know, when, when something went down, we kind of feel like we want to hold on to it. We just hope you'll get better, right? Hope. Um, remember, hope is never the strategy. So this is a point where you need to stand there and reassess. So first of all, you go, okay, share price went down 20%. What has changed? What is the real change to the company earning? Remember the sentiment and earning? You've got to stick with the, um, you know, first focus on the earning of the company. So if you worked out, well, the actual company's earning hasn't really changed all that much. It's really just changed a little bit. It's the sentiment that's changed significantly. And my investment thesis of that company is based on its earning. And I'm still happy for, it will still grow double digit and things seems, things seems to be intact. You know what? Maybe you don't want to sell it. You want to hold on to it, or maybe even you want to buy more of it um, simply because, you know, market is um, impatient for the short term, you know, short term, um, you know, market just go, oh, it will take six months before, you know, anyone comes through and things. Um, you know what? This is a time where you go, you know what? I'm, I'm comfortable and I will sit in there. Now, another scenario is that share price go down 20% and um, earnings gone horribly wrong. And uh, this is the moment where you actually sit there and go, okay, earnings changed. My investment thesis has changed. I thought it would do this. Now it's no longer going to do that. And I don't believe the company will make any changes. Um, you know, I don't believe company will actually get back to what I thought it will be doing. In these sort of scenarios, it's almost always best to ask yourself going, would I be buying this company today? after the 20% lower, after all that earning changes and all that disappointment, would you be buying it today? If the answer is no, sell it. And the answer is yes, maybe you should hold on. But um, it's it's about rationally reassess what's changed in terms of company earnings and asking yourself rationally, would you be putting more fresh money into this company today? Um, and the answer is no, it's time to to put that money into somewhere else. I love that answer. I think there's many people who should be maybe writing that question on a piece of paper and sticking it above their laptop. Um, and if you trade on your phone, maybe save it as a pop-up or something and, uh, and put it there, myself included, right? It's so good to have some kind of framework to help you make these decisions, particularly when something gets hit really hard and, uh, and you're deeply disappointed in your choices and then you have to make a decision about it. Absolutely. Look, I think it's, um, you know, this is why I love to speak to investors more about that because this, you know, this is what we do as a professional investor is that we deal with this day in and day out. And one thing we train ourselves doing really well is this in how to, uh, put aside the emotional bias, the emotional, I want to, you know, not I want to cry, but, uh, you know, I want to do something or I not do something and all of that um, is to assess it rationally and then go, what's the best decision from here on? Money's already lost. It's already done. Um, so how do we make the decision that's best forward? Um, so, you know, just every day, um, once you train yourself a few times, then you become much more rational in your decision making. Yeah. And there are those of us, perhaps I'm talking about myself where it's just easier to kick the can down the road. So uh, having a framework is super helpful. Shunbei, you're a regular on many great sources of ideas and insights, which is where I saw you the first time. Where should people go to find out more about you, about Tribeca and about what you're working on at any time? 
Absolutely. Well, thank you. Um, my uh, w- people should come to our website. Uh, it's uh, Tribeca IP T R I B E C A I P dot com dot au, um, and it has information, all the information about my funds, um, and uh, and also <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, so uh, love to link with people and sometimes can share um, ideas and um, yeah, and um, you know, love to hear from anyone who's uh, who's interested. Jumbe Lu from Tribeca Investment Partners. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Gemma, and thank you. It's a great pleasure. Thank you so much for listening also. As always, we love hearing from you and Jumbe does too. We've received amazing feedback from you guys. We love getting your questions and topics you want to hear more about. So please just email us at yourwealthatnab.com.au and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.